1: And a welcome to Dear Hank and John
0: Or as I prefer to think of it Dear John and Hank
1: It's a comedy podcast in which two brothers answer your dubious questions Nope, answer your question, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon John, what is the elephant in the room?
0: I just want to say for the record that we will be answering some dubious questions in this episode
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, we usually do we usually do. Totally sometimes, wrong. sometimes I'm like, I, I don't know that this this question is uh, asking from the perspective of of a, a real situation or one that was just made up. But either way, I'm going to do it because it's a good question. All right, what's the elephant in the room, John? Three, two, one. Walt Disney signature. Reviewed. Wait, what? Walt Disney's signature.
0: Hank just made a video about Walt Disney's signature that is much better than it has any right to be. It is a really fascinating video. And actually, Hank, this is as close as we've ever come to having the same elephant in the room because (laughs) I felt like that was your version of the Anthropocene Review. It was a
1: little bit of an episode of the Anthropocene Reviewed in five minutes with lots of graphics. Um, I I had a really good time uh, doing it, and uh, but have not have not stopped being obsessed with it. I did not get to the bottom of of it, and uh, I have been. Since the video has come out, some people have given me more information, and I have started to be really interested in talking to some people who are in their mid to late 80s because I need to talk to them now before all the good information they have is gone. Hank is going to get
0: to the bottom of how the D in the Walt Disney logo came to be if it is the last thing he ever does, <laughs> and it may be, it may well be the last thing he ever does.
1: Just working, I'm working hard. Um, I, so I, I, picked, and, I and your Elephant in the Room is your own podcast. I mean, why not, John? Why not? Well,
0: yours is your own most recent <laughs> video, so I'm not going to apologize. There is a new episode of the Anthropocene Review that just came out. Uh, we're taking a break after this episode, so go listen to this one now because there won't be a new one for a while. Uh, the, the most recent one is about a 17,000-year-old cave painting of a hand stencil and uh, the Taco Bell breakfast menu.
1: Uh, did you <laughs> Did you have a good VidCon, John?
0: I did. I had a very nice VidCon. I really enjoyed myself. It was really lovely, and I thought in many ways it was the best VidCon ever, and I'm hugely grateful to the team who put it on and worked so hard to make sure that it was a safe, fun event.
1: You know, it occurs to me that we sure did make this whole intro with with in mind the fact that now is now, and in fact this episode may come out in months.
0: Well, but the new episode of The Anthropocene Reviewed will be the new episode of The Anthropocene Reviewed (laughs) for like a couple months.
1: (laughs) Okay. We don't know when this uh, one's going to come out because we recorded two this week because I assume... We're going to be busy doing something and somebody decided to schedule us for two I'm, podcasts. I'm going in a week. I'm
0: going on vacation. This first question comes from okay. Kelly who writes, "Dear John and Hank, have either of you ever gone for a high five where the person you tried to high five didn't reciprocate or didn't realize what was happening and left you hanging? I always have so much anxiety about this to the point where I don't even go for high fives anymore since the stakes and my hands are often too high." <laughs> Great. Good. Very well written, Kelly. Do you have any advice on what to do with my hands if I find myself in a non-reciprocal high-five humiliation situation, or am I doomed to remain hanging? High-fives, Kelly.
1: This, I mean, this happened to me at VidCon at least one time. Yeah. I... And I like what I did was I went too high, just as just as mm. Kelly said. Uh, and people were confused by what I was doing. And they they were like, that looks like not the thing you should do. Are and you raising I, your hand? Would you like to be called upon? Yeah. And uh, and then I was like, no, high, high five me. And so I like which was not the most elegant solution to be like, is anybody going to do the thing? Because I'm sitting here, and I just, I can't it is It's opening yourself up to a certain amount of vulnerability and and when you're in that situation saying like, high five me, dang it is I think okay. And I think that that's showing mm. like a certain amount of confidence. no, because um, what if somebody
0: doesn't like applying their palm microbes to your palm microbes? I don't want to put anybody under pressure to exchange palm well, microbes well, because I we mean, know that any, the hands everybody any initiation of a
1: high five is putting people into that pressure. So what you just said is no one will ever high five again.
0: Well, I'm not saying no one should ever high five again. I'm just saying the hands are overwhelmingly the filthiest part of the body.
1: Um, You could, you could, hi, I'm up here for a high five and then you go elbows. And I'm like, yeah, elbows, any, any recognition, or the, 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 uh,
0: the, the fist bump that Howie Mandel does. I'm a big fan of the Howie right. Mandel fist bump. Mm-hmm. I actually have a solution to this problem, Hank. I saw it happen live in an NBA game and it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. You know how, after a free throw, a lot of times like the players high five, regardless of whether they make the free throw just as a way of kind of, you know, just ritualizing the process in, in an attempt to make free throws work better. No, I so, don't. But I okay, well you. that's a the thing. There's a lot of high-fiving after free throws. That's all you need to know for, for this. <laughs> uh, this one time I saw a player like went for a high five just as all the other players like turned around and was left just holding his hand up and what he did, I thought this was brilliant, was he brought his other hand up and he <laughs> high-fived himself. <laughs> and then he put both his hands down and he just he was like, "I got you." It's a yeah. wonderful example of self care, and it's yeah. a wonderful example of like positive self talk. Like they don't want to high five you. Well, I know somebody who does, buddy. It's yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had that a similar thought, which is like you're up there, you're hanging, just fist pump. Yeah, that that also works. Just be like, woohoo, douche. This next question comes from Francisco, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my wife and I recently moved to a new state for work opportunities. I have made a good impression on my boss and have been entrusted to house it while he and his family go to Australia for two weeks. I assume for VidCon Australia. We're We're five days in and my wife has locked us out. The neighbor who supposedly had a spare key informed us that they never received a key. Oh, no. Help! Love the podcast, <laughs> sincerely, Sad Francisco. Well, you've been—I assume that you've been sleeping out on the rocks in the front yard because I think that they have xeriscaping, not not a lawn, because these people are very respectful of the water situation wherever you live. And uh, so you've been sleeping on the rocks, waiting for this podcast to come out, which I appreciate greatly. <laughs>
0: I don't, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, Hank, but this happened to a friend of mine, but it happened immediately after their three-year-old son closed the door.
1: <gasps> oh, God. And
0: so they went to open the door, and they realized that the door had locked behind oh, my the God. kid. Oh, and my then God. for, like, five minutes, they watched the kid just, like, you know, live <laughs> in complete freedom. <laughs> and so, like, the kid walked to the refrigerator and, like, opened the refrigerator door and, like, rummaged around and didn't <laughs> close it. And the and whole time like, they were like, Jeffrey, hey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeff, Jeffrey, 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 Jeff, Jeffrey, Jeff, Jeffrey, Jeff, open, open, the, open door. the door, open, <laughs> turn the, no- turn the knob, turn the knob. And like the kid couldn't, but then of course, like the kid freaked out you know Mm -hmm. like it's like fine for five minutes and then it's a complete freak out situation and in the end they had to take off their shirt wrap it around their fist and punch a hole in their glass door in order to get back inside because they couldn't bear to wait for a locksmith so the situation isn't that bad hopefully yeah ideally you just call a locksmith and you're like listen i don't own this home but the owners are in australia (laughs) and trust me it's cool
1: yeah. Yeah, you're I swear you're not breaking into this very nice house just for right. me. It's I swear I promise. I, it's absolutely. Yeah, I I promise. I've been in a similar situation where I was asked to to cat sit and uh and and needed to break into a house because the the place they had not left the key where they said they were going to leave the key and there was no mm. key. And uh luckily one of the windows was open and I just cut through the screen and uh snuck in that way wow but if there's no way in you gotta you gotta either locksmith you gotta break a window man
0: yeah it's unfortunate but i don't i don't see i don't see another solution unless have you tried the chimney don't try the chimney (laughs)
1: good god almighty what a terrible idea i mean this is the thing houses are built to not get broken into like it's the whole point right not the whole point. There's, like, also you keep the rain off and stuff, but but in general, people like to make their houses difficult to enter if you, if you would not like other people to enter them. This next question comes from Jess, who asks, Dear John
0: and Hank, when I was in college, an upperclassman showed me a Tumblr blog she ran about a mutual friend. Let's call him Ian. In it, she and some of her friends basically talked about Ian like he was a fandom. They would write posts on why Ian is awesome, discuss which girls Mm. they shipped him with, etc. It was a little odd, but overall the blog was mostly harmless. However, about a year after learning about this blog, I started dating Ian. Mm. Actually, Mm. we've been together for several years now. The problem is, I've never told Ian (laughs) about this Tumblr. (laughs) Should I? (laughs) On one hand, there hasn't been a post on it in years, no. and neither Ian nor no. I have kept in contact with the no, girls who no, ran no, this blog. No, no. On the other hand, no. I'm not no. sure how Ian would respond to learning that such a thing exists and that I've been keeping it from him for so long. Marriage feels like it might be in the cards for oh, us, wow. so should I just keep this secret from him for the rest of our lives? And if I did tell him, yes. how would I even bring it up? Any dubious advice would be appreciated. Infinite Jess.
1: Oh, nicely done, Infinite Jess. I Okay, John, I have a very specific set of feelings about okay. this. This blog was not about Ian. Correct. This blog was about the idea of Ian. It was about, like, they had, like, you create mythologies around people when you're in social spaces. Yeah. I did this in high school all the time where there were people who, like, I saw peripherally and saw from a distance. And, like, my friends and I would make up, like, whole stories about their lives that weren't true. And we knew they weren't true. This blog is not about Ian. You know who Ian is. They did not know who Ian is. You don't have to tell Ian about this. But, but... 10 years into your marriage, that's when you tell Ian. (laughs) No. Like,
0: I have a 10-year anniversary present for you. There's something I've been hiding for the last 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) 15 years. I... I, I I had I also had something like this in high school. There was this kid who went to our high school and everybody really loved him. He was a great guy and people made made uh, stickers. You remember that Andre the Giant has a posse sticker that was popular in yeah. the early nineties? Mm -hmm. we made stickers of this guy and then we put them all over the the world actually like
1: even look at how man what would it be like to be well i guess you know now because people do post put your stickers in places do they yeah there's a there's a bunch of pizza john stickers in the Um, pizza restaurant by my by by my office i guess i guess there are pizza
0: john stickers out there and the answer to what is it like is it's pretty weird um but I also <laughs> but, like.
1: But what would it be like to be a high school student and have people like you that well, much? Well, I think
0: the big difference was that I still think I get like 50 cents for every Pizza John sticker that gets sold, whereas I don't right. think this kid That's ever made true. a dollar. And I, I, I highly doubt that Ian was paid for his likeness on this Tumblr. Um, <laughs> my feeling about it is that it's fine to keep it a secret because it's not about Ian. But it's also fine to tell him. I don't think that he'll be, like, shocked or freaked out. I think he'll be like, oh, that's weird and not about me.
1: Right. It would be, it probably is the sort of thing to have come up rather than something to bring up. Because if you bring it up, it sounds like it's a big deal. And I don't think it is.
0: Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a big deal. It would be a big deal if it were, like, some bullying burn book thing. But right. it's not. Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. Ian is awesome and we have made up a whole mythology around Ian and all the great things that Ian is. And then it turns out that Ian yeah. is awesome. So no worries.
1: Right. But also normal. Also a normal We don't guy. know that
0: for sure. At no point in Jess's letter <laughs> does she say that Ian is not an amazing, amazing person who deserves to have many tumblers written about him.
1: <laughs> All right, Jess. We, I, I, I I'm going to hold you accountable now and say we should find out more about Ian. I need to know everything. everything I do need to know everything, Ian.
0: Jess. I want you to write me a book-length introduction to Ian.
1: Okay, it's official. John asked for asked for that. No, actually, this, I'm going to take that
0: back. I don't want more than 200 <laughs> words, but I want it to be extremely comprehensive.
1: That sounds, that sounds more like it. This next question comes from Paula who asks, Dear Hank and John, I just started a job, a new adulty job right out of college on the fifth floor of an office building. I love it, but there's a problem. The elevator in the office building is extremely slow. Because of this, I have to stand awkwardly next to people I don't know for minutes. Mm. That is a slow elevator. Yeah. What makes it worse is that there is no elevator music, so we stand there in silence. Is there something I should do to make the elevator ride less awkward? Should I make small talk with the office mates even though I never see them outside of the elevator? Help me. I, If I could, I'd climb up the walla, Paula. Mm, very good, Paula. Well I mean you could climb up the stairs uh
0: Yeah that that was going to be my suggestion as well. Have you have you considered the stairs uh because I, the great <laughs> thing about the stairs uh is that you get a fair amount of exercise and you don't have to encounter strangers or if you do encounter them it's in a weird situation where you're sort of out of breath so you're not expected to speak.
1: Right Uh, this is this is like a legitimate thing that I I want to point out. As someone who climbs stairs every day uh, at at the office or at my house, I uh, I'm like stairs are no big deal. And then when I hit like the third flight, if I'm in a hotel or in the convention center or something, I'm like, okay, that's not nothing. Yeah, I have some doing this still. Um, so five floors is a lot. Like it's not like I'm not saying you should be able to turn, but. But a month into this, it won't be a big deal, and it'll be faster than this slow as everything elevator. The only other alternative, I think, is to uh, on your cell phone play Kesha's "Woman" uh, every time you get into the elevator.
0: Oh, or any song really, because then you're just then you get known. At the office, as the person who plays elevator music for us, but it's always. But I the think same it's whatever song. it
1: is. It should be the. It should be the same song every day.
0: Hank, let's throw out some songs that would be good songs for Paula to play every single day uh, on her five-minute elevator ride in the morning. Margaritaville, <laughs> really solid. Uh, I'm a believer by the monkeys. Sweet Home Alabama, <laughs> very specific and. <laughs> I I don't know where the office office building is. I mean, it's much better if it's in Maine than if it's in Alabama. Yeah. I, um, Mo Money, Mo Problems by Notorious Uh, B.I.G.
1: Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) That
0: might be the best. We might be done now. That's it. It's Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Paula, every single day, walk into that elevator, (laughs) and then just the booming... Noise of Bon Jovi. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's because because you are you're halfway there you're on your way up. And um, probably by the time you get to that part of the song you're halfway there. Right, exactly.
0: The best part about living on a prayer is that it like begins with that like thumping drum beat. Yeah, that stuff. Like the moment the elevator closes, it's just like. <laughs> Alright Hank, I'm just gonna play it for you actually. It's coming. Hold on. Hold up, wait for it.
1: Oh, does that have a Yeah
0: <laughs> Right as the door closes.
1: <laughs> and everybody's like, huh. Oh uh, well. Okay. Well, Great. I guess
0: we're doing this now. Day six hundred and seventy-two of taking the elevator with Paula. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this turned out better than expected
0: um i haven't had so much fun on dear hanker john since we uh, found out about ross and jr and the chipmunks <laughs> do, john do you know that that song uh do you know what do you know what a double dactyl is i don't know what a double dactyl is, is it is is it a kind of uh dinosaur
1: it's a no. It's a rhyme scheme. Oh, that it's a it's a it's a rhyme scheme that tends to be used just in poetry. But but living on the prayer actually has uh, uses double dactyls.
0: Do you know that living on a prayer was on the Bon Jovi album Slippery When Wet, which was the first cassette tape I ever owned. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was my third favorite song on Slippery When Wet, behind my my favorite song when I was nine years old, "Wanted Dead or Alive." Um, oh man! And wow. My second Good. favorite well, song, you know, nine year olds. "You Give Love a Bad Name." Um, oh, which, that
1: song was great. I love
0: that song. I did not understand the theme of uh, in third grade when I first uh, listened to that album.
1: I imagine you also did not understand the theme of Slippery When Wet. I, I,
0: in fact, I did not understand it until just now when you said it. <laughs> I apologize. I want to go back in time to when I thought it was a reference to uh, recently <laughs> floors. washed floors.
1: <laughs> uh, no, it's just because it's he gets so sweaty on stage. Next question.
0: Great. Moving on. I mean, it was, it was so good until it all went bad. oh dear john and hank this question is from hannah dear john and hank as i was strolling around the streets of san francisco i realized something that puzzled me when you press that little button that says something along the lines of press to walk it doesn't seem to hurry up the process of changing the green light to red for pedestrians then i thought that maybe the number of people that press the button tells the machines if they can change the light but even if no one presses the button it still changes what is the point of this button dubious answers are appreciated
1: hannah Sure, like here's just a straight up, we had a bunch of fun just now, so we're gonna have straight up answers. They do different things in different places. In some places it's purely psychological, it's like if there's not a button, people are like, when is the light gonna change for me? And so they just put a button there and it doesn't do anything. Like the closed door button in almost every elevator. Except in Europe, where I found out that you actually oftentimes have to push the closed door button, which was a very huge surprise for me. And I was sitting there in the elevator being like, why am I not going anywhere? Anyway, there are also uh, some buttons that are there for p- like uh, vision impaired people. So you push the button and it will tell you, it will give you updates on the situation, mm-hmm. it will tell you to wait or to walk. Right. Um, there are also buttons that actually do have an impact, uh, and those are at intersections where the light doesn't change unless a car pulls up or unless somebody pushes the button. And in that case, oftentimes the button push will give you a longer light cycle, a longer green for the cars going uh, through the light, and also. So you get that walk time where you, it, instead, if you didn't push the button, you'd have a very quick green for just the cars that would not be quick enough for pedestrians.
0: So in short, it's just like life. Sometimes you press a button and it matters and other times you press a button and it doesn't matter and you press the button the same way regardless and yeah. you never know.
1: You just you just do you sort of do what the Panopticon is telling you to do.
0: Mm. Okay. Hank, did you know that Slippery When Wet, the Bon Jovi album. I'm sorry to return to it, but I'm not done yet. (laughs) Sold 3.4 million digital copies. Like, once digital music became a thing enough people still love Slippery When Wet to buy 3.4 million digital copies of it.
1: I mean and I assume that people had already purchased a tape and possibly a record and possibly a CD and then this is like the fourth time they're buying Slippery When Wet. Yeah. We uh, it's so good that we have moved past this era. We don't have to do this anymore. We just pay our $10 a month for Google Play Music or whatever, YouTube Music, well, I mean, or Spotify. it's good for us. I
0: don't know that it's good for John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora, the and hardworking members of Bon Jovi.
1: You know, John, actually, did you know that Richie Sambora? I have terrible news for you. Is not a member of John Bon Jovi's band anymore. Shut the front door. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> it, had to, it happened. You're it has right. to happen sometime. Creative differences, I'm sure. Oh my
0: god, he left the band in 2013. How am I just hearing this breaking news?
1: Well, I I also didn't. I just I just found out myself. I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hank, we have another question. This one comes from Troy. And by the way, if we sound different, that's because it's a week (laughs)
1: and a half later. (laughs) John's memory card got corrupted, so we had half a podcast, and now we are cutting in the second half of the podcast.
0: It's true that my memory card got corrupted, but just for the record, it is not because I ate the memory card, which is what happened right. the last time my memory card got corrupted. So, in a way, this is progress. This was just an old-fashioned technological failure, <laughs> not me trying to eat a pretzel chip that turned out to be a memory card. This next question comes from Troy, who writes, hello. That's how the email begins. I work as a bookkeeper for a very well-off small business and have been been... been for the past two years. I thought my wage was pretty decent given that I don't work many hours but recently the owner has gotten me to add his wife to the payroll and her pay is much higher than mine. I asked what exactly she was doing as I have never seen her around the office and he said that she was going to take over some of the audit work he does which is very little and not worth the pay that she's getting. Oh Troy, this has nothing to do with value and everything to do with taxes. (laughs) Basically, is it right for me to negotiate a higher wage and use another employee's rate of pay as an argument to increase mine since I do the payroll and no Everyone, what everyone else makes or is it wrong since that kind of information is supposed to be confidential i haven't
1: fallen yet troy oh good good name specific sign off yeah john is right that this is a this is all about tax loopholes and uh and it is a, a little bit a little bit I don't know how above board it all is. It's very common. It's very common for it is very common.
0: businesses that are owned by one person or by a couple to put both people in the couple on the payroll
1: as a way of shifting There's a bunch tax of advantages. Burdens. Yeah, there's a bunch of advantages and also like you can put more into your retirement accounts and all this stuff. But yeah. It is a very, very common thing to do.
0: I would argue though that it doesn't have anything to do with the value of your work, Troy. And I don't think in general it's a good idea to use information that should be confidential to negotiate your salary. That said, if you do think that you deserve a higher salary, you should go and negotiate it. I think that that's, I'm all for that. I think people should do that more often. I think if you add a lot of
1: value to the company that you work for, Mm -hmm.
0: go in and make the case.
1: Yeah, and the worst thing that can happen is that the they'll be like, oh, in the, the situation we're in right now, we really don't want to do that. We're, you know, and, and then maybe you'll know a little bit more about how the company works, and um, and hopefully, hopefully, everybody realizes that that's not an antagonistic experience. It is a, um, you know, it's it's part of how uh, businesses have to work. Exactly. This next question comes from Nicole who asks Dear Hank and John, it's currently the day before my birthday and I had walked into work to see gifts from my co-workers sitting on my desks You have multiple desks? That's amazing wow. I politely thanked them, talked to Uh, about my plans for my birthday and then just went to work. I'm really happy they gave me something, but I have found myself in a dilemma. Should I open their gifts right away or should people wait until they are in private to open gifts? I used to think it was disrespectful to open birthday gifts in front of people, but I don't want my coworkers to think I don't appreciate them. Please help as I sit awkwardly next to a small pile of birthday gifts, just short of a dime, Nicole. Oh, that's Uh, good. It's like nickel. Oh, man. It's like nickel. I mean, Uh, the quality of uh, the name specific sign offs on this podcast have never been higher. um, Also, the quality of your workplace. Like, I feel like, is this a prank? Like, never have I ever been in a workplace where someone had a birthday and they received a small pile of gifts. Yeah, me neither. We're like, hey, maybe you'll get a cake, maybe there will be a balloon, maybe someone will bring in cookies. But really, that's that's because we all want cookies. When I worked at Booklist, the
0: rule was that on your birthday, you had to bring in your own damn cake.
1: Really? Yeah, because
0: otherwise you got to remember when everybody's birthday is. So you get just as much cake, but it's the responsibility of the birthday owner to bring in the cake. I thought it was a great solution. Anyway, you are not under (laughs) any responsibility whatsoever to open up these presents during work hours. As a business owner, I feel very strongly about that. (laughs) No, You open them up afterwards and then you send notes. You send thank you notes so that people know that you appreciated the gifts.
1: I mean it it would be a like a very and and like I don't know where we are right now. I don't know I like I'm completely in left field. I don't understand your workplace. I don't understand this like we have a very supportive tight knit workplace, but this would never happen. And I can't imagine any situation that's not like a baby shower where an adult is surrounded by people as they open gifts. It's yeah. just like it's such a it's super awkward. Surrounded by like that at a baby shower, it's like your closest friends. At work, it's like this is it. Like okay, everybody stand around while I find out what kind of bobblehead or or action figure I was given by Tony over an accounting. <laughs> I don't know. Thanks what is for to- the what, Boba Fett, what do you Tony? get? What do you get from coworkers? Here's a bo- <laughs> here's a can of Lacroix. I don't understand. Hey, I got you
0: a digital download of "Slippery When Wet." <laughs> Good callback, John, to a week and a half ago. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, we should mention, by the way, Hank, that it's been a fascinating week and a half since we last recorded this podcast. Oh, surely has. With the, surely has. The biggest news by far, um, aside from the amazing, moving, tear-jerking rescue of the oh, wild boar yeah. soccer team in Thailand, which is just beautiful and the best of humanity, and reminded me, actually, of your book, Hank, uh, because your book also explores the way that how how great humanity can be at its best. Aside from that, the big news, of course, this week is that I am now a character in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe as a result oh, of the appearance yes, of yes, my book, yes. The Fault in Our Stars, in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I can only assume was a subtle uh, and very generous apology for the fact that the first Ant-Man movie absolutely destroyed Paper Towns at the box office when they came out the same weekend.
1: <laughs> I mean, it is... It is uh... It is Ant-Man, but John, you made Ant-Man cry. Yes, the eighth largest franchise in all of Marvel. (laughs) I mean, the eighth largest franchise in all of Marvel is still like, it's, it's like the 10th largest franchise in all of everything. That's true. That's a good
0: point. Uh, and I should add that I'm very grateful to have become a character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe rather than in the DC Universe, which is right now my very least favorite universe. I mean, oh man, the things that are happening in the, in the DC character universe from Michael Cohen on down continue to be fascinating, but not in a way that I want to
1: be part of. Uh, I think that we are in a transitionary moment where we do not know what to do with the tools that we have. But eventually, when we figure it out, things will be okay, right, John? I mean, silver was
0: very bad short-term news for the world in the 17th century, and I—I mean, I guess it got better. Today's podcast is brought to you by
1: Twitter. Twitter, I guess it will get better. This podcast is also brought to you by the book of Ian The book of Ian It's a book about everything to do with Ian
0: Don't share it with Ian, please And of course today's podcast is also brought to you by the Cell 5 The Cell 5, why high-five someone else When you have your own microbiome to high-five yourself with And
1: also this podcast is brought to you by Slippery When Wet John (laughs) hadn't thought about that one very hard And now he has Oh, I just want to go back just want to go back in time (laughs)
0: To the to a more innocent age, John. Yes, we have another question. Great.
1: it's from Mindy who asks, "Dear Hank and John, I need your help. I am so confused about football scarves. Yeah, why do the scarf? Why are the scarves so short? I feel like you know the answer to this question. You must know the answer to this question, John. I would like to support our new Minnesota United team. Go Loons! That's adorable. (laughs) And the marketing suggests that I should get a scarf. But when I look at football scarves, they seem really short. As a knitter and a person who lives in a cold place, I believe that a scarf should be nearly as long as the wearer is tall, which allows for adequate coverage of the face and neck and head. Football scarves aren't anywhere close to this. Why, nanu nanu, Mindy. So Mindy, great reference to
0: a sitcom (laughs) that nobody listening to this has ever seen. Hank, before we get to the <laughs> issue of soccer scarves, Nanu okay. Nanu reminded me of old oh, okay. Let's com- just... <laughs> comedians, which reminded me that last weekend I saw Yakov Smirnoff in really? live in concert in Branson, Missouri, at the Yakov
1: Smirnoff Theater in Branson. Wait, there's a Yakov Smirnoff Theater? Correct. Does he have, like, a standing engagement? He he did for many years. He had
0: a standing engagement there for, like, 25 years. For those of you unfamiliar with Yakov Smirnov, he is a Russian-American comedian who came to the United States in, I think, 1977 from the Soviet Union, speaking no English whatsoever, and built a a small empire around being this, like, Soviet dissident comedian. And his catchphrase was, America, what a country. And he's very funny. (laughs) And I have to say... Today, Yakov Smirnov is 67 years old. He's playing in Branson. I would say the median age for the Yakov Smirnov show was 74. <laughs> uh, we were definitely the youngest people in the room, and it was great. He did a great job. He still has it. Um, he told a lot of the old jokes. He told a lot of the new jokes. And I, I really enjoyed myself. I was a little dubious going in, but like I enjoyed myself so much and it made me think so hard that there may be like a Yakov Smirnov review in the Anthropocene Reviewed at some point. That's how much I <laughs> liked it. And that's how interesting I found it. Anyway, to get back to your question, Mindy. The <laughs> that reason, was it?
1: That was the whole thing?
0: That's it. I just, wanted, I just wanted to tell you that. Hank, a lot has happened in the last week and a half and I want to bring I mean, you up to date.
1: I like I like that a lot, and I would like to interview Yakov Smirnoff and be like, "What was what's it been like to go to do the thing you did?" Because yeah. I, I just I want to know how to transition. You got you got to have so many transitions in in a career as a person who is uh, uh, in in the public eye, and I need to know how to do that because I, I feel as if I have experienced some already, and they come with. Uh, difficulties.
0: Yeah, Hank and I are deeply, deeply interested on how people deal with being on what I call the other side of the mountain. (laughs) 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 Like, when you're on your way down the other side of the mountain, how do you make it fun and meaningful? One of the ways that I make it fun and meaningful, Hank, just just to give you a piece of advice is I remind myself that there were lots of things that I did not like about the previous side of the mountain. It's true. It's true. Uh, Anyway, to get back to your question, Mindy, which was about football scarves. (laughs) <laughs> the reason is that most football teams do not play in Minnesota and most right. people do not need scarves that are as long as the person is tall. So I think there's two reasons for this. One is that, you know, in in England and uh, France and other places where football started in the early 20th century, shorter scarves made sense because they were cheaper to make. They required less stuff, and they were adequate for the covering of the neck. And then the second reason is that the football scarf is partially intended as a thing that you hold up above your head, and it needs to be the approximate width of your arms when they are held above your head in a Y, like you're doing the beginning of the YMCA and the Village People song. And so that is the proper length for a football scarf. And I know that it isn't great in Minnesota, but you've got to remember, most of us aren't in Minnesota.
1: So when you're when you're at a football game and you have your football scarf, are you wearing your football scarf like a scarf, or is it just like sitting on your lap, getting ready for you to shake it?
0: Oh, I think if it's cold, you're definitely wearing it as a scarf. And then if you're but not, wearing is it, it just it like just...
1: draped over? Like, is it just draped or is it wrapped? I drape it unless it's properly cold, and then I wrap okay. it. Okay. So here's the situation, Wendy. Yeah. You need two scarves. You need a regular, normal scarf, of yep. which you appear to probably have plenty because yep. you're a knitter and also you live in Minnesota. And then around, like, you've got your scarf on, and then you have your football scarf that just drapes across. It's like wearing a, sh- like, it's like wearing a pin that says, like, I like the loons, but it's a scarf. And it's, like, it's there to let people know. And it's, it's, it is a purely decorative scarf, it appears. That's exact. I
0: think that's a good way to think about it, Hank. I just double scarf the situation. Nobody in Minnesota ever regretted having a second scarf in winter. Absolutely.
1: Yes, have two scarves. You like you're not going to complain about having another piece of fabric. But, John, business idea, really long scarves for the Minnesota United team. <laughs> it's like you and I. It's we're going to make dozens of
0: dollars. It's not the worst business idea you've had in the last week and a half. But it's a, <laughs> I, actually, I was going to say, but it's also not the best. But actually, it is the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hank, this next question comes from Tristan, who writes, Dear John and Hank, but mostly Hank, I discovered Brotherhood 2.0 through EcoGeek a very long time ago. Oh, my! Wow, a very long time ago, back in 2007. Thank you for sticking with us all this time, Tristan. Every now and then I check in on EcoGeek to see if it has been updated. The last two updates are both in January of 2017 and 2018, respectively. After the name change to Complexly for your company, I figured EcoGeek would fully die, but what is it with this weird zombie state for something that you used to care so much about? About P and P, Tristan. Parties and peppers. Uh,
1: pumpkins and penguins. Pride and prejudice. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I what I always think when somebody puts P and P. Yeah, I, I mean, there. When when I transitioned out from from being somebody who was working day to day on Eco Geek because because the videos things had had taken over so much. That was in part because, like, I had so much stuff to do. It was also in part because, like, I wasn't as enthusiastic about that project anymore because, um, blo- like, blogging was changing and there was a lot of consolidation going on and people, uh, and it was sort of like, I would either have to, like, put my, like, make EcoGeek a blog on a bigger network or I was going to have to not do it anymore. And also, like, I was kind of, the way to get people to click on articles felt—it was just too much, too much clickbait for me to to make it feel valuable. So there were things I d- actually didn't like about it. Uh, so I I kind of gave it over to some of the other writers, and I was like, "Keep keep this up if and when you want to." Um, and it is still still really remarkable to see it there, and also that like the design of Vico Geek uh, hasn't—you know—ten years later looks not super stale which is yeah but i think that's mostly
0: because the internet has come all the way back around like how bell bottoms are back like
1: (laughs) for a while it
0: did look stale but now like we're back to white mostly empty pages and i'm like eco geek looks pretty good these days
1: (laughs) oh man well i um yeah and i I think that's largely the the situation um and and also in general like he got a like there, there are parts of life that, uh, will come and go. And, um, and, and, and uh, it, it still exists though, because of part of me is always like, we should be doing something with this. There should be an eco geek YouTube channel or something because well, I still do. Obviously I care a lot about the topic still.
0: Yeah. My feeling has always been that some things on the internet and some ways and other things and other ways. And it's, like life. Sometimes it goes out with a bang and sometimes with a whimper and I don't mind things continuing to be there and to live in small ways I know I understand the urge to want closure or to want an ending for things but I guess one of the things I like about the internet is that things often don't end in that straightforward way. That feels more true to me
1: Yeah, yeah
0: Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I want to ask you one last question. It's from Megan. It's a big one. It's complicated. It's hard to get into, but it's also a beautiful question. Dear John and Hank, who is Mr. Rogers, Megan? Oh, no. I know. Well, but um, if you're a young person, you might not know who Mr. Rogers is except insofar as all the kindnesses that your parents have ever shown you
1: come directly <laughs> from Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Um, there, we have a little book that sits on our downstairs toilet. Uh, it's just a bunch of Mr. Rogers quotes. And and if you should get that book and just have it on your toilet because it's way better than looking at Twitter while you're going to the bathroom. <laughs> there's, and, a, there's also a great Mr. Rogers documentary uh, that's
0: yeah. just come out that's really, really powerful and moving and kind of a balm in these times. Mr. Rogers was a children's television host on public television who also was a source of
1: kindness in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a really thoughtful, empathetic person. A, uh, you know, a, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how he happened, but it's, it's a, it's marvelous that he did, because um, I know even now, like, we are starting to watch Mr. Rogers with Oren, though, of course, he doesn't get what's happening most of the time. But like Catherine and I are like this is this is great. Thank you, Mr. Rogers I feel better about stuff and also like that was some good advice and I'm like this is for this is for children But I am really I need this right now not like I need it like to bomb my soul like I need this advice, right? No, I, I completely agree.
0: I mean Mr. Rogers remains extremely relevant I do think that in our secular world one of the things that we need that we are struggling to find or haven't quite found yet is a version of sainthood. And obviously, saints are not perfect people, and Mr. Mm. Rogers
1: was not a perfect person.
0: But if you're gonna have a saint, I think you could do worse.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really it is nice to have people that you can definitely look up to. Um, can I tell I'm you a Mr. Rogers story, Hank?
0: Yeah, yeah. Mr. Rogers worked
1: uh, in Pittsburgh. And Is it about the car that got stolen? It is. You told that story on the podcast before.
0: Can I tell you Mr. Rogers' story, Hank? Yeah. This is a different one. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mr. Rogers worked and lived in Pittsburgh. That's where they made the show. And the Fault in Our Stars movie was filmed in Pittsburgh. And Mr. Rogers, Mr. McFeely from the show, remember Mr. McFeely, the male guy? Of course. Mr. McFeely happened to find out that we were filming The Fault in Our Stars, and I don't know if it was him or his nephews and nieces or kids or grand or what, somebody was a fan of The Fault in Our Stars, and Mr. McFeely came to The Fault in Our Stars set and was so kind and lovely and wonderful to us and gave us all this mr rogers uh stuff for our kids and daniel tiger which is the show that Mm -hmm. mr rogers studios makes now and we you know have like being able to take that stuff home to my kids was such a wonderful memory and i am it, it was just a wonderful little tiny thing sometimes people can do little tiny things that you know make make a big impact on your life so thank you to mr mcfeely and thank you to mr rogers and now hank now it is time for the news from mars and afc wimbledon i can't believe you met mr mcfeely oh he was so nice too man
1: that's
0: is that like the very coolest, jealous is that like the coolest celebrity encounter i've ever had
1: <laughs> i mean i honestly maybe no no for me it was uh meeting Dwayne the rock johnson you met Join the Rock
0: Johnson. He handed me an MTV Movie Award. Not to brag.
1: That's not really a meeting.
0: Mm. I mean, I uh, I looked at his. I saw his bicep up real close. <laughs> that's,
1: My that's eyes good. were maybe four to five inches did away you, from his bicep. Did you? Did you t- <laughs> is he? T- is he a tall guy? Uh,
0: I don't know if he's a tall guy or I was just hunched over real bad because I was nervous. <laughs> 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 could have been could have been either <laughs> well let's look I, my 6'5". guess is he's yeah, pretty he's tall. tall he's tall he's six 6'5". 6'5". five yeah I your eyes are over. about level with his bicep also you gotta remember his biceps go like all the way up to his shoulder
1: <laughs> you know what's real weird to me that i had i did have a hard time sort of processing Yep. uh that hulk hogan is six seven
0: I have a little. I would have a hard time processing that, except I once was on a plane with Hulk Hogan, so I know exactly how tall he is. Have I never told you this story? <laughs> you you meet too many people. I've I've seen almost every celebrity on a plane. Every celebrity who travels via commercial aircraft, I have been on a plane with. <laughs> so, Hulk Hogan. I was on a plane with Hulk Hogan. I was seated in coach, and he was seated in first class. But a he stood for the entire flight like the moment the fasten seatbelt sign went off he stood up and he stood Facing the rest of the plane, just like staring out at us. <laughs> and the most amazing detail, Hank, is that
1: this is a great story. Unlike
0: most celebrities, he was dressed precisely as Hulk Hogan. Like, he was not yeah. wearing sunglasses, he was not trying to d- d- disguise himself in any way. He was like, Yes, it is Hulk Hogan on your plane, me, Hulk Hogan, staring at you for the next hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> Well, when you're 6'7", you don't want to sit down. You want to stand up. You know the celebrity I've been on a plane with most often?
1: Oh, my. Is it John Green? What's happening right now? It's
0: Snoop Dogg. I've been on a plane with Snoop Dogg four times. What? Four times. At that point, you're just like, okay, I guess we're friends, right? I met Snoop uh, backstage at a thing once, and we took a picture together because I guess his kids like my books or whatever, and... He was very nice, and everyone I've I've talked to about Snoop because I've 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 sat next to his manager or or people several <laughs> times. They they all speak highly of him, but um, he it does a much better job of disguising himself than Hulk Hogan. That's all I'll say.
1: Ah, so maybe I have sat next to Snoop. It's very possible. It's very possible. I think at some point we promised some people some Mars news, so I'm going to do that instead of like who's John been on a plane with before. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't wait for my new spinoff <laughs> podcast, People I've Shared a Plane With. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, so the, the, the news of Mars is, that, so there's a, a meteorite, a beautiful little meteorite. In fact, it's called Black Beauty. That's what they call it, the scientists, because it's a pretty little black meteorite that's from Mars. And this, uh, you know, we have previous models of how Mars formed. And uh, when Mars first became sort of like like the crust formed and then rain fell. So there's this, sort of this window between which like there was definitely liquid water on Mars and then it stopped being there. And then when it started being there is basically the moment when there was a crust. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the window during which life could have happened. And so knowing that those those dates is important. And the models, the mathematical models we have for how Mars would have formed, indicates that the crust formed pretty late, um, later, like later than this. Now, this new evidence is showing us. So mm. instead of like a hundred million years to before the, the the crust formed, it would have been more like twenty million years, according to an analysis of this meteorite, which scientists did science to um, to to sort of like say like okay, this this uh, rock is a very old rock from the surface of Mars. And we can tell from, I think, the zircon crystals in it that uh, this rock formed just 20 million years after the formation of the solar system rather than like 100 or 150 wow. million years after the formation of the solar system, which was our previous guess. So that's pretty big news. And it, uh, it, does, it does, you know, it has a pretty big impact on how uh, we're imagining the, the sort of window of potential life on the surface of Mars.
0: That's really interesting, so is it possible that there was life on Mars like long before there was life on Earth?
1: Well, yeah, yeah, I mean that, that's sort of the, the, that hypothesis is out there that like if there was uh, if there, if we do find some evidence of former life on Mars, we could we'll be able to tell whether that life has shares a common ancestry with us. Mm. so was that life? And it, like, and if it doesn't, it will actually be really hard to figure out if it if it counts because all the things we have to test for life are all based on our chemistry. But um, but it, you know, like the the idea that life could have co- gone from Earth to Mars, um, and that like all the Mars life just got knocked off of Earth on a meteorite, um, or that it came from Mars to Earth, and we are in fact all descendants of Martian microbes. Right. Which would be
0: really neat. It would be amazing if after all of these decades of work to get humans to Mars, it turns out that
1: we were Martians all along. And if that is the case, John, question, does that mean we've already been to Mars so we got there before 2028? (laughs) If definitive proof is discovered that we are all Martians,
0: (laughs) at some point before 2028 or after 2028, we will either continue to keep the podcast named Dear Hank and John, or we will change it back to yes. Dear Hank and John.
1: Yes, yes, so there is a chance. It's,
0: but I mean, I want proof. I don't mean like climate change is real proof. I mean proper proof. <laughs> that was just to be very clear that was a joke that was a joke for (laughs) hank that was that was a joke for hank and climate change is real and that was that was the joke okay the news from afc wimbledon (laughs) hank there is so much news from afc wimbledon we've lost all of our players and we've gained entire an entirely new set of players we've played some friendly games at which these new players have had to encounter each other presumably for the first time uh yesterday neil ardley said that he is still trying to sign Wait for it, seven more players.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious.
0: The season starts in like a month. (laughs) Neil Ardley would like to have at least seven more signings for AFC Wimbledon this summer. (laughs) So that is is from South London Press and Mercury, which I think is uh, um, South London's leading... AFC Wimbledon newspaper. All right, so I just want to introduce you to some of our new players. First off, we have a new goalkeeper. It's a shame because I really liked George Long. He was great, but our new goalkeeper is named Tom King, he, which lends itself to lots of puns. So, congratulations, Tom. He's excited to. <laughs> okay. I think he's on loan. He is on loan from Millwall. Uh, we've had a lot of players on loan from Millwall over the years. We've had a good relationship with Millwall. They've provided us with some of our best players. So I'm all for it. I love, I'm excited about Tom King. We also have a new striker. His name is James Hansen, and he is a big, big lad. He's 30 years old. He's feet. Six feet four inches tall, and in the past, AFC Wimbledon has done well when we've had huge strikers who are difficult to deal with. The most famous being, of course, Otto and Fenwa, but there are lots of other examples as well. So that that that's exciting news. We got a new midfielder whose name is Mitch Pinnock. Mitch Pinnock. All I know is that
1: on Twitter he calls himself Mitchy Pins. Really? That's Mitchy Pins. That sounds a lot like something you'd make up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I. <laughs>
0: I agree with you 100%. It does sound like something I would make up, but his name... Is your phrase of the week Mitchie Pins? Mitchy Pins! Anyway, I really hope he scores a lot of goals, because I want to say the words Mitchie Pins all the time. I don't even know if it's good news or bad news, but that's his name, Mitchie Pins. Um, and we also signed a player on loan named Tanai Watson, who uh, is a defender who played for Reading. People are excited about him. Let's keep our fingers crossed, I guess. I have no idea if he's any good. Uh, he's young, and he looks uh, driven based on the one picture of him that I've seen. So, yeah, that's the deal. We've we've got some, some new players, and there was also an interesting uh, Meet the Manager event at which... Neil Ardley was asked a bunch of questions about last season, and one of the things that he said is that he he was upset that some kind of clicks formed, and that he felt like the team wasn't on the same page, and that some of the players who've been released or moved on, um, he felt like were maybe part of that problem, so now hopefully we'll have this sort of like unified squad who all buy into the to the plan uh our preseason results so far have been excellent we beat reading um preseason it doesn't really matter because a lot of times you know teams are starting not their best players to see who's good or who plays well together or whatever but we beat reading 4-2 um and uh joe piggott scored a goal um or as i call him joey pigs Quessi uh, Apaya good. also scored a goal. I can't think of Quessi uh, apps. I'm going I'm to get ready for this all season long. It's never going to stop. Um, every every week, no matter who scores, I'm going to report on the exploits points of Mitchy Pins no matter what. Anyway, so that's the update. We've had a good preseason. Things seem to be going well, uh, but
1: it's entirely new players, so I don't know whether to be excited or terrified. John, um, I think that you should be excited. I think that you should be excited. You guys, right. you guys are spending your cash, and I think you're doing it wisely. Now, it's time for the phrase of the week, which I can definitively say you didn't say because you said it last podcast, and I still know yep. what it is. What was it? Something about treadmills.
0: It was treadmill shuffling, uh, which was Camus' <laughs> dance move. And I did say it last time, and I got away with it. You did, and it was incredibly impressive. But unfortunately, the memory card didn't work, <laughs> so I apologize to Camus' signature dance move, who donated that um, for the project for awesome. And I, even though you did say your phrase of the week last time, I don't flip and remember it. What is it? It's Double
1: dactyl uh, double from dactyl. Sierra. So oh, Sierra and he did a thank you, but I will say that I did not. That, that Slippery When Wet, or whatever song I was talking about back then, does not have double dactyls in it. And, and I lied to you, and I, it was very hard for me to keep lying to you. Uh, but I, I did that, um, and, and powered through, and, and didn't bring up the fact that I was lying, which was hard.
0: Right, so the double dactyl rhyme scheme does not appear in any song on Slippery When Wet, Bon Jovi's classic album. However, uh, there is a double dactyl rhyme scheme example on Wikipedia involving our favorite president benjamin harrison wait I what once said was boring and i got in a lot of trouble for saying he was boring so i'm gonna read you this poem that i did not write i did not write and i do not agree with its theme it is a poem by john ha- hollander higgledy piggledy benjamin harrison 23rd president was and as such served between clevelands and save for this trivial idiosyncrasy didn't do much
1: wow wow <laughs> wow that is very weird that is a very weird convergence of something dumb and silly and something dumb and silly suddenly having a large large overlap on this podcast
0: speaking of which we have a project for awesome message from boyer to read to jess boyer thank you for donating to the project for awesome jess this is your message the post office isn't hiring in fairbanks so i guess you have to move back to iowa now is that like a code? Did I just like, <laughs> did I just send Yeah, right. the Russians a message from Donald Man, Trump?
1: Don't use us this way. There's lots of ways to communicate on the internet now.
0: Seriously, Michael Cohen, what did I just tell? What did I just tell that uh, Russian pop star who organized the meeting at Trump Tower? Anyway, if you're a real person, Boyer and Jess, I hope that... That message meant a lot to you Or alternately that the post office starts hiring in Fairbanks Because it is a lovely town
1: <laughs> Right, John Thank you for making a podcast with me Thank you everyone for listening to this podcast Which is edited by Nicholas Jenkins It's produced by Rosianna hals And Sheridan Gibson Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno The music that you're hearing right now And at the beginning of the podcast is from the great Gunnerola, And as they say in our hometown Don't forget, forget to be awesome <laughs>